Ashton, Ashton, Ashton Media. We were in Shenzhen recently visiting the insurer Ping'an, right? And, and over there, NLP or, or voice AI more broadly is, is huge. Um, you know, we literally cross the border and, you know, we see the taxi drivers interacting with his phone just by talking to it, you know, which is kind of the exception here. Kids do it. You know, we don't do it that much. So, so at Ping'an, they've replaced this team of 3,000 interviewers and trainers with a voice bot that hires people and trains them and, you know, with better results than they had using people. So people are going to be using this stuff <laughs> everywhere and, you know, to, it's just going to be normal, right? Hello, I'm Gavin Stewart, Marketing Director and Co-Founder of Ashton Media and the host of Programmatic In Your Pocket, brought to you by our friends at LiveRamp. Short, sharp stories and solutions to the biggest challenges in marketing, advertising, media and CX. Up next, we'll be playing the full interview with Dr. Willem Parling. Stay tuned. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, comment, and tell anyone you know that's interested in this industry about this podcast and your favorite episode. You can find Ashton Cast on all the major podcast players. Go to ashtonmedia.com.au slash ashtoncast for more info. We are here on site at the 2020 Sydney Programmatic Summit with the one and only Dr. Willem Parling. He's the Director of Customer Growth and Analytics at IAG. Um, welcome to the show, Willem. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself and IAG as well, please? So IAG is, um, we're a general insurer. Um, so we've got brands like NRMA Insurance and CGU Insurance. Being a general insurer, that means we do mostly car insurance, home insurance, um, things like that. Um, so my role at IAG as Director of Customer and Growth Analytics, um, I look after analytics for, for marketing, for customer experience, um, distribution, um, all those kinds of things to uh, really seek to better understand our customers and do better measurement and you know, ultimately to deliver growth. So I've, I've been involved in programmatic since about 2013, um, all on the client side at in-house desk. Um, so back in 2013, I worked with Chris Smith um, at Foxtel to set up the in-house trading desk and then moved across in 2016 to IAG and we did the same there. Um, and I've done a lot of work on incremental attribution through experiment design and that's been in, in programmatic, in search and in all channels, in TV and radio and so on. Fantastic. And you just hot off the stage from Programmatic Summit here. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you, what you spoke about, please? Yeah. So I talked about um, Bob Hoffman's... Um, controversial, aggressive, incendiary article, um, which was basically calling out what he called a conspiracy of silence in digital advertising, um, that there are, there are a whole raft of problems in digital advertising and that, um, that the most likely situation is that we know that these problems are there, um, but you know we haven't been comfortable to talk about them. We've chosen to remain silent rather than addressing them head on. Great. And what is the trend in programmatic that you're most excited about at the moment? Well, I think I think it is this. I mean, right now we're at a point where it's got to change. So, um, with all the incrementality testing that we did, it it showed that you know for our brands at least, um, that that programmatic didn't drive a short term sales outcome to to the degree that we we thought it did, and so so it means that. 
that you know I've long felt that we need to change focus towards you know, towards creativity to brand advertising to getting people's attention and now now it's going to have to happen it's going to have to happen for two reasons it's not just Bob Hoffman calling it out it's that there are regulatory changes coming in and and also that the browsers are making changes that mean that you know third party cookies are going away and we're not going to be able to do the same kind of targeting and the same kind of touch based attribution measurement that we we have done in the past i guess you kind of touched on it before so you know what is the is the trend that you wish would change or stop um I mean, it's short-termism in business generally. So, so I've always felt uncomfortable with it, with it in marketing, and felt a bit like you know, in, in moving beyond marketing. So, I was looking after um, media, including programmatic, but all media at, in in marketing at at IAG for NRMA and other brands. Then moving out into into analytics, I found that you know the, the same kind of short-termism and the same kind of you know, measuring without regard to incrementality is happening everywhere. And I think that's a change that's sort of risen over the past 10, 20 years. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, been pre- it's been pretty bad. And I think it comes at the expense of genuinely delivering growth and, um, you know, more rigorous business strategy in the long term. Great. And so obviously in the media lately, there's been a lot spoken about the demise of the cookie. Um, so I think we're you know, going to go a little bit deeper into that now and just get some, some of your insights around that. So how do you feel about third-party cookies in general and have the upcoming restrictions to third-party cookies been a surprise or would you say they're long-awaited? Um, well, I used to be a web developer back in the day. So there are plenty of valuable use cases for third-party cookies in building web applications. And so it's a real shame that they're going away. Um, I'm, I, you know, have been genuinely surprised that the browsers are seeing this as such a problem as that, you know, as to get to the point they're going to seriously limit the utility of third-party cookies. But at the same time, you know, I think it is actually necessary. Um, you know, it, it seems it seems benign, like too too many targeted ads is just a bit annoying for consumers. Um, basically harmless. But you know, right now we're living in a time when there are countries who are genuinely trialing a social credit score, and in that context, if you know, if we're talking about all this tracking going towards you know, contributing to your social credit score, um, we start to get a lot more worried, and profiling becomes a lot more concerning. Mm. Great answer, mate. And so, with with data becoming more valuable and third party cookies disappearing, what does this mean? Do you think for the future of digital advertising? I'm genuinely optimistic. I think there's something really valuable in not being able to measure. Um, it forces people to think more. Um, to you know, you've got to think about the interaction between people and ads. You know how they might remember the ad, how the ad will make people feel. Um, with third-party cookies going away, we're going to have to think about digital advertising as more of a human problem. And you know, I, re- I really think that's a good thing. So in a way, I guess we're almost going back to kind of old-school advertising metrics, right? Yeah, that's right. How, how do ads actually make you feel? You yeah, know, and, and what do they make you do? You know yeah, what I mean? yeah, rather yeah. than you know, how do they make you interact on a on a particular digital platform? So, um, yeah, how crucial do you think it will be for advertisers to identify post cookie marketing strategies? And will the two year time frame be a heightened factor? Are people kind of you know, are they frightened? Yeah, I think people are people are worried. Um, but you know, Google will surely phase things in. You know, in the Chromium blog, they talk about replacements. Um, you know, replacements where we can't target individuals, but more general profiles or groups of people. I think 
I think there's been a lot of noise for advertisers. Technology has been really fast moving and, and there's lots of risk of looking stupid if you're not constantly trialing new things. Um, I think that'll slow right down. And, you know, I hope that it gives space to marketers to put a bit more effort into planning and thinking about what they're doing and where they are buying media and, you know, understanding the quality of the placements they're buying rather than treating every impression as equal. You know, I hope that's the direction that it goes. Do you think, you know, speaking off the cuff here, do you think uh, we might see the rebirth of the big ad? I, I hope so. Uh, I mean, I, we're already seeing a bit in that direction, like, um, you know, formats like the the formats that Playground do and um, and and Celtra, um, where, you know, we're taking over the screen and, um, you know, providing an experience that, you know, that yeah, is bigger. Um, so yeah, I do. I hope it goes it goes more in that direction. Yeah, cool. So obviously, there's no denying programmatic is groundbreaking technology. Uh, it's brought new capabilities to the industry and allowed marketers to purchase data driven granular audiences at scale. To what extent will this change with the blocking of cookies? Yeah, so it, it'll change. But again, I I don't see it as as that much of a problem because I've always found contextual targeting to trump third party data. You know, so I've found small business audiences, for example, um, that when we compare these small business audiences to our own business customers, you know, we do cookie matching and compare the cookie pool, um, the pool from that audience is worse than random. It would be, be better applied as an exclusion um, than as the target. Um, and then we find that the closest thing that we can find for small business is NRL and AFL fans. You know, it's, well, you know, we're, we're going after tradies in small businesses. So it makes a lot of sense to get inventory from the NRL and AFL if we're going after um, those audiences and, and, you know, much less sense to go for the targeting. But of course, it really depends on, on the publisher and the advertiser. Um, the in-house programmatic teams that I've worked with have both had really broad targets, you know, at, you know, we're selling car insurance. It's all the people with cars or who might buy cars. Most of the people, um, so third-party data is not essential, um, and it's a you know it's a complement to the mass reach that's happening through TV and radio and outdoor. Um, you know, all the people who watch telly, it's the same kind of scenario. Um, but when you're talking about something much more specific, and we're just having this conversation earlier about cycling, um, that's much more of more of a niche. So I get targeted by a lot of cycling stores, and you know that scale of brand with a much narrower appeal, we'll find it really hard if that capability goes away. While Google's move isn't catastrophic, the level of fear triggered by this small move shows just how reliant and vulnerable publishers, vendors and agencies are to one company and one browser. How can we improve the online experience for consumers and clean up the ad ecosystem as a whole community with industry-wide change so that everyone benefits from it? I think and I've been saying this a bit, I think we need to focus on the interaction between people and ads more than the tech. So we need to be considerate of people's online experience and be vigilant in safeguarding against advertising products that game the metrics by creating basically terrible user experiences. Um, you know, I think we need to be aiming to get to the point where people remember online ads, you know, where we appreciate how difficult it is to get people's attention online and that's our focus. Um, it's easy to create an impression if you know if our definition of an impression is just loading an ad tag, and it's much harder to create an impression when it's when it's a human memory, and that human memory is what matters to brands. Um, so you know, in terms of the ecosystem, it, it if we if we change that focus, it doesn't matter as much. And so you know, cookies are crumbling. Who do you think 
are going to be the winners from this? Like, who are who are the you know who are the major winners from cookies disappearing? Well, I, I mean, there's yeah, there's the side of it where people are going to still want to do hyper-targeted advertising, and you know, of course, you know, these platforms where people log in every day, um, you know, Facebook and Google, that's kind of it. Um, you know, they're going to continue to be able to do this kind of targeting and to be able to um, attribute sales in ways that other platforms can't. And, you know, that is that is a real worry. I hope though the response is, you know, to do less of that kind of targeting um, and to, you know, focus more on, on creativity. But, you know, certainly in a subset of the market, those will be the winners. So, you know, obviously creativity is more difficult, wouldn't you say? I mean, is that is that you know a big part of the reason why people have kind of gone down that more technical route? Or I mean, you're a measurement guy, right? So, what what are your thoughts on those two kind of beasts living side by side? Yeah, absolutely. It's more difficult. It's you know, it's much harder to it's much harder to get people's attention when they can literally block your ad, dismiss your ad. Um, you know, where it's easy to ignore it. It's not the whole screen. It doesn't take up, you know, it takes up some small fraction of the screen. So, yeah, it, it is much harder and it's, you know, it's quite easy to sit here and just say we need to be creative like TV. Um, but to actually deliver it requires a level of creativity, you know, beyond that. Um, you know, we require, you know, new formats and striking content and, um, you know, to actually, um, you know, be brave and nudge people in ways that, that you know we've not seen in digital advertising before so where do you reckon that bravery is going to come from i think it's i don't know i haven't thought about that that much i mean i think it needs to come from a combination of um, i think it needs to come from a combination of the creative agencies and um and the media agencies and and the publishers i mean I don't think we're going to be able to get the the kind of attention we're talking about here through, you know, running the standard formats that we've had for a long, long time. You know, it's not that we're going to be able to fit that level of of engagement into an Emmerich. Um, You know, I think we're going to have to see... um, we're going to have to see, you know, real innovation in ad formats and um, real focus on, you know, how people engage with that. So, you know, part of that's going to be technology. Part of that's going to be what happens at the publishers and um, part of it's going to need to happen. You know, creative agencies are going to have to engage with it and um, and and do more. Yeah. Exciting times ahead, I think. Um, so with cookie-based targeting and retargeting being significantly challenged, contextual advertising will have to seek new avenues. What's your understanding of the use of AI-driven NLP, real-time sentiment analysis, and their potential to open up highly valuable inventory. So I've got an interesting story about this. We were in Shenzhen recently visiting the insurer Ping An, right? And and over there, NLP or, or voice AI more broadly is, is huge. Um, you know, we literally cross the border and, you know, we see the taxi drivers interacting with his phone just by talking to it, you know, which is kind of the exception here. Kids do it and, you know, we don't do it that much. Um, so, so at Ping An, they've replaced this team of 3,000 interviewers and trainers with a voice bot that hires people and trains them and, you know, with better results than they had using people. So people are going to be using this <laughs> stuff everywhere and, you know, to, it's just going to be normal, right? So for my daughter's generation, so, so she's, she's five, um, you know, speaking to computers is going to be the primary interaction. You know, she's got no idea how to use a PC yet, but she's well adept with Alexa and OK Google and finds features we never knew existed. 
Um, the obvious advertising opportunity is is with smart speakers and personal personal assistants. So there's not a whole lot in this just yet, but it has the potential to be really big. And I, I don't think it's taken off as quickly as I'd imagined. Um, the obvious use case is, you know, you're building your shopping cart on a smart speaker and ad units are recommending brands at the points you're putting on your list with the opportunity to put a discount in place. And, you know, if people take to that, if that's the way they build their shopping list and order their groceries, that's going to be huge. Um, I don't know that these technologies will enable better targeting, but, you know, more context for advertising that look more like paid search where people are asking for a product and you're saying, here, have this product. And it'll be even narrower than than search, you know, in in search because you're looking at it visually, you put three products in front of someone and they still make a choice. You know, when you're interacting through voice, it's, um, you know, it's it's slow to list out three products so you know you're more likely to go how about this one give you two dollars off and so people like just less switch. choice really what we're we talking uh, about yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, less choice kind of more put upon us from the advertiser per se right yeah 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 interesting yeah. I, I i think it's probably a step too far to expect to be able to gauge the mood of a room through a camera or microphone on a smart TV and deliver ads accordingly. But I think there is going to be, yeah, there's going to be massive opportunities as more of our interaction is taking place through voice. Great answer, mate. And so um, we'll, we'll just dive into the, the ACCC inquiry here, which people have been, you know, a little, little worried about as well. Um, so with the impending ACCC inquiries into the ad tech supply chain, focusing on digital display ad compounded by government announcing plans to introduce a binding online privacy code in the Privacy Act, how do you think this is going to affect the type of inventory that vendors offer? Well, I think there's some big unanswered questions at this point. So, you know, how will how will personal information be defined? Because um, if it's defined as everything that be, can be tied to a known individual, then, you know, we'll have to have significant GDPR-like overhead to collecting data to enable behavioral targeting. Whereas if it's something that can possibly be tied to an individual, um, you could... You could interpret the data sent with a bid request as being um, as being personally identifiable in information, and that'd be an extreme interpretation, but it's not implausible. I I think there's going to be more and more of a push towards subscriptions. So big publishers are already shifting their primary focus from selling ads to subs, um, and with that, you're going to have better data, first party data tied to first party cookies, known people who pay for stuff. You know, they paid for a subscription. They might pay for other things too. Um, so there'll be potentially a smaller quality of much more valuable inventory. Um, you know, that is, of course, if the subscription isn't sold on the basis of cutting out the ads. Mm, interesting. And um, what do you subscribe to at the moment? Any, anything outside of the, the usual? Um, well, we're in, in our household, we got a, we've got a subscription to The Guardian um, and to, to SMH. And are they, has their, uh, has their targeting going for you? Is it working? A lot of cycling ads? Um, yeah, the cycling ads are everywhere. Big, um, you know, big lists of products from Wiggle and so on. They're, they're regular. With a looming reduction of data from consumers, will brand marketing methods shift to known quantifiable methods of operation? Um, I think we'll see digital measurement a bit more aligned to traditional media, so more focus on reach and survey measurement, slower measurement and more thought about about you know what it is that makes a campaign successful. Um, I think that'll mean less hectic expectation of daily or weekly optimization and and more of a growing role for digital in brand advertising. So do you think that's going to slow things down a little bit? Yeah, I think so. I mean, 
it'll be a bit of a do less, accomplish more scenario where, um, you know, I, th- I think because you can optimize programmatic every day and because it's called a trading desk, it sounds like, it sounds like, sounds like you, you have to, right? It, it sounds like yeah. the stock market. It sounds, yeah. like we used to make the joke at Foxtel of like, oh, quick, you know, ad units on SMH are down now. Buy, buy, buy. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not like that. It shouldn't be like that. But the expectation sometimes is that it's like that. Yeah, great. And so are there any interesting new strategies your programmatic team is experimenting with at the moment? Right now, we're actually revisiting the test. So it was a while back that we did the retargeting experiments. Um, so it's time that we challenge the results and, and that's our biggest focus right now. So I'd love it for retargeting to deliver a sales lift for us. And I'm sure it does for other categories. So, you know, we're trying again and hopefully we're going to return new news. Um, don't know yet, but, yeah. um, it'd be, it'd be great if we did the same tests and achieved a different result. Only time will tell, I guess. So, um, can you tell us a little bit about that retargeting experiment? Yeah. So... The first time we ran it was probably about 2016. Um, we ran for for about four months. And so what we did was on desktop devices, half of the cookies, half of the devices that, that came to our website were eligible for retargeting and half half were not. And the reason we did this was actually that we ran a creative test where we had some you know highly personalized creative at each step in the quote funnel. We ran that against standard creative and, and there was no different. No, no difference between the two. So then that triggered the thought of, you know, what if retargeting is not actually working at all? If we can't see any difference between this highly personalized creative and this pretty generic creative, you know, is it having any impact at all? And so we ran that for, for about four months. And the, the number of attributed sales from standard attribution was about 1,700. When we looked at data-driven attribution, which tries to infer, it, it tries to infer the difference between running the ads and not running the ads by you know, comparing, um, comparing converting and non-converting paths, um, that went down to about 1,600 sales. But the difference between the group who were eligible for retargeting and the group who were not eligible for retargeting was minus 26. <laughs> so the measurable impact was a small negative impact. And of course... Um, you know, with a stats lens on, it's, there is no impact. It's just noise. Um, but certainly it showed that digital attribution was off by, by such a scale that you know, it wasn't even in the right direction. So your retargeting just doesn't work for you guys, basically. Yeah, no, we, we haven't done it in a good few years. Fascinating. <laughs> and um, so ad tech is expected to record exponential growth between now and 2023, given the new privacy regulations and the blocking of cookies. Do you think advertisers have become too reliant on third-party cookies and, as a result, have lost their ability to effectively use first-party data? Or do you see this as a minor setback that will solve by future advancements? I, I think the shift has to be from innovation in targeting to innovation in formats and creative delivery to get people's attention. I don't really see it as a setback at all. Um, third-party cookies have enabled junk attribution so you know there's so much wasted time and money going after a measure that gives no read on additional sales resulting from a campaign but it's been hard to break out of it makes everyone look really good if we're reporting on loads of sales so it's really hard to move off it um you know however much people want to nobody wants to deliver the report that says hey for the last five years i've been telling you you're getting you know hundreds of sales from my ads every day Actually, it was it was ten, and the CPA is you know ten times what I told you, and is totally unviable. Nobody wants to have that conversation, so it's really no. it's really hard. Um, but you know, however much people 
want to now now we're at the point of having our hand force so you know in my view it's a gift not a setback um i think i think the greater loss has been the ability has, hasn't been the ability to use third-party data um but the belief that delivering a highly targeted message is universally more valuable than delivering a shared experience through mass reach. So the study of how advertising works alongside the right of television, alongside the growth of television by like people like John Philip Jones and Andrew Ehrenberg, is still it's still really relevant today. The same issues and the same principles, um, you know, and also by great agency planners like Stephen King. Um, but you know, I, I think over the last decade or so, you know, in Mark Pritchard's words, you know, we've been blinded by shiny objects, and we we lose sight of how to do marketing properly, and that's how to connect with people. It's so much more important than than stringing together a sequence of ads, you know, creating a a journey of messages as you're caressed down the purchase funnel by highly targeted video and display. <laughs> so, I mean, when have you ever experienced one of these programmatic journeys yourself? Um, there's no reason that digital can't be delivering that mass experience, but we need to focus on better formats and on people and ads and how the two interact. Terrific, mate. And two more questions, and then you're off the hook. So if you could tell someone 10 years ago one thing about how advertising would turn out now, what would it be? Um, I think I'd tell them to resist the polarisation. You know, there was... I think it's... it's um, it's dampening now, but you know we had this. This TV is dying, digital's rising. It's the replacement. Um, but you know, TV's declining. It's not dying. It's declining. It's going to continue declining, and we're going to need to do better things. Um, but digital's not the panacea. Um, you know, learn the breadth of of what you're doing, and you know, resist the you know resist the extremes that you know that get the clicks and that get people. Um, that get people excited and you know learn to engage with the whole of advertising. One more. So, what books, podcasts, media are you into right now that are helping you with your day to day work, or maybe just helping you to be a better person? Yeah, um, I've been reading a lot of books lately on on the nature of creativity. So, a lot from a guy called Scott Barry Kaufman. Um, they're really interesting. They talk about. Um, systems one and systems two thinking and how much of creativity goes on in this you know in this subconscious thought which you know it isn't being you know consciously processed in your mind um it's interesting because they you know, the daniel kahneman's thinking fast thinking slow um has got people believing that that the 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 system of thought that's not conscious rational thought um, isn't very valuable, and we need to we need to be conscious of that and bring more into rational thought. Whereas you know the study of creativity kind of says the opposite. It's like there is so much of of your valuable thought that is going on um, subconsciously, and this is where creativity comes from. That that's all that's all really fascinating. Um, I've been reading a bit of of old school advertising literature, so the the timeless works of Stephen King. Um, the JWT planner, not not the horror guy, um, and and I've not been, misery then, no, no, no. Um, and I've, I've been reading um, Nick Bostrom on artificial intelligence. I mean, there, um, his book goes through the general AI. So you know, we're talking about about voice AI earlier, which is quite a specific use case. But general AI is this idea of when. Um, you know, when a machine has the complete cognitive function of a human being, and there's this real problem with that, which was you know, it's identified about um, you know seventy years ago, um, 
but once a machine has the full cognitive capability of a human being, a subset of that cognitive capability is developing cognitive machines. So there's going to be this intelligence explosion where machines become smarter and smarter and smarter, um, and you know humans are no longer the the dominant most. We become the worker bees, is what you're saying, that, that's right? right. Oh, we, that's right. We, we stop exciting being, times ahead. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, if that happens, um, game over. Yeah, wow. So, um, what are you saying? Don't let the genie out of the bottle, or, or is the genie already out of the bottle? I, the, the way that they talk, the way that Bostrom talks about it is like, if it becomes possible, someone will unleash it. Like mm. someone will just unleash it because they want to see what happens. Nice one. Well, look, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it, and, uh, and appreciate your fantastic presentation earlier today at the Programmatic Summit. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dr. A lot. Willem Pulling. Thanks. It's been great. On the next episode of Ashton Cast, we'll be playing the full interview with Jennifer Snell, followed by Peter Barry and then Travis Klinger, the VP of Global Strategy and Partnerships at LiveRamp. Stay tuned. Ashton Cast, programmatic in your pocket, was proudly brought to you by our friends at LiveRamp. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, comment, and tell anyone you know that's interested in this industry about this podcast and your favorite episode. You can find Ashton Cast on all the major podcast players, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Go to ashtonmedia.com.au slash ashtoncast for more info. This was produced by Podpaste and Ashton Media here in Sydney, Australia. Executive produced by Darren Lake and Gavin Stewart. Audio engineering by Eamon Connolly. Story writing producer, Charles Montano. And additional research and copywriting by Tim McDonald. Ashton, Ashton, Ashton Media.